Hello Brooklyn, how you doing? You where you going? We cannot come to. And if I can, I'ma be your man. You can be my lady and have my baby and drive my car. You got me crazy. Whatever you going, where you going? Just take me. I'm so taken. Hello Nets fans, how you doing? The Russell and Fro podcast is back, the Nets are back, the playoffs are back, and Backstreet technically never left, so that song doesn't make any sense. Russell here and Fro there as always, and while we don't have D'Angelo Russell anymore, we do have a very aggressive, very impressive Fro making our name semi-relevant until Jared Allen gets traded about a month and a half from now, I'd say. Anyway, we're pumped about this Raptors series, not because we're going to lose in five, but because it gave us to it gave us a chance to invite one of our favorite guests, Scott Levine from Premium Hoops, back onto the pod. Scott, we'll get to you in a second, so please be quiet over there, because I, as well as all of Nets Twitter, have been dying to know, Carl, how are you, my friend? Brett, I'm Nets in five, and uh, I am... <laughs> Very excited to be discussing what will certainly go down in history as the Rondé Hollis Jefferson Revenge Series with the world's preeminent Rondé Hollis Jefferson beat blogger, Scott Levine. Scott, how are you doing, my friend? You know, I'm doing great. It's uh, really refreshing to be back on here. I'm drinking a uh, seltzer per usual, and this time it is indeed a polar. I'm not skimping on myself. No more Schweppes pandemic has taught me that you really have to be thankful for the good things in life. And I've got a cranberry lime polar next to me, ready to talk about Rondé Hollis Jefferson, the Nets, and everything that ensues. Have you uh, dabbled in the polar uh, limeade series that, that they have? I'm the getting Star a sense of one. deja vu. I want to say you brought this up last time, but I'm not sure. God damn it, I don't have unlimited seltzer takes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a machine, Scott. <laughs> yeah, because then I then I transitioned into talking about uh, the winter flavored uh, cranberry cider and how I had a scheme to sell all the ones that were left over from my hardware store. That's right. I do recall this now. Yeah, we went through this, but that's okay. Uh, I still haven't tried the limeade, so your recommendation still uh, is good. All right. All right. Very good. Very good. So uh, shall we, you know, we are recording this Monday night. It is after the first game, uh, which, uh, you know, many of you may have seen, and that's, uh, we're not victorious. Uh, kept it, you know, reasonably within a 30-point cushion for most of the game. Um, but let's let's talk about this as a series preview, I guess, as if we're approaching this, um, you know, from the beginning. So, Scott, I know that you, you know, you followed the Raptors pretty closely, uh, this season, I know that um, I haven't necessarily, although I, I've certainly enjoyed listening to podcasts about them. Can, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen from them in the bubble and how you think that's going to change, if it's going to change uh, as they head toward the playoffs? Um, so first thing everyone should know about the Raptors is that they have eight starting caliber players on their team. Um, you know, some teams don't even have five starting caliber players. And they just have a few left over. Like, what's Norman Powell, um, Serge Ibaka, you know, even Terrence Davis doing on their bench when they could be playing, you know, 33 minutes for another team. And that team could still be really good. Um, Of course, I want to say that Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is technically the ninth starting caliber player. 
Um, some might refute me on that, given his lack of an outside shot, but he honestly has that level of impact when you know he's able to have a space floor around him, as we've seen all season. And that was kind of what I always, like we always talked about, you know, what if he played small ball center in Brooklyn Nets, and he was functionally that with you know Ibaka or Gasol spacing the floor next to him, but also playing a center on defense. So, but in terms of like the top end talent, I mean, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, you saw how great they were today. Um, Siakam's kind of had an interesting bubble. I don't know quite what to make of there. Um, but you know, he's been pretty good all season. Let's say OG Ananobi is, you know, the one thing you can say they didn't have the one player you can say they didn't have last year, um, who can maybe make up some of Kawhi's defense, if not his offense. And I mean, they are an elite defense with Mark Gasol on the floor, especially, um, don't know exactly how they can manufacture a consistent offense in the half court, though that does not seem to be a problem when Fred Van Vliet is being guarded by the likes of who do I want to pick on? Uh, Tyler Johnson. He, he makes enough money for me to pick on him. <laughs> he wouldn't have grown out his hair if he didn't want to be picked on Scott. So I think we're good. <laughs> yeah. That's the Raptors basically. And I guess like, where do you see just, looking at them heading into the postseason do you buy them as like a legit title contender do you do you feel like they'll fall a little bit short of that like regardless of this initial series like sort of where do you see them topping out at I see them as the fourth best team in the league but the three are kind of in a solidified tier to me and Raptors are just barely on the outside looking in because of you know I know they can have all the defense in the world and that's really important as they showed last season against Giannis um, not just Kawhi, but having the guys at the rim to wall up the paint if Giannis tries to attack in transition, which he likes to do. And then I think OG can kind of uh, check him on ball in the half court, a little bit of Siakam. So they definitely have that ranginess. Uh, like I said, my concern compared to like the top, top teams, like the Bucks, Clippers, and Lakers, let's say. Although, you know, Let's see. Let's let's not hold our breath with the Lakers, but I do think they will be a, a you know a top team despite their struggles in the bubble. Um, compared to those teams, and maybe the Lakers, I guess <laughs> this isn't actually now that I think about it true for them. But also the Raptors, you just don't know where that half court offense is consistently coming from down the stretch. At that level, I should say, like they'll be fine for most teams. So. You have the Raptors, so so basically you have them above Boston. You have them above yeah. kind of anybody else in the East, um, just just below the the other, you know, the, the top the top three in terms of both LA teams and Milwaukee. Yep. So another team that's below both LA teams and Milwaukee is uh, the Brooklyn Nets, <laughs> and <laughs> I guess you know you you told us uh, before this that you know you've enjoyed watching as we have of course Karis Levert uh, during the bubble. I guess what have you seen from him, and what do you think? Sort of perhaps today's result notwithstanding, like like what are you looking for from him in this series? I think just to kind of continue to show glimpses of you know why everyone liked him so much coming out of the 2018-2019 season. Um, it really seems like he almost took this bubble personally. Uh, just because, you know, I think, I mean, not you guys, because you're cool and nice. But a lot of other people... Generous. 
We'll take it. We'll yeah. take the nice. I, I mean, think yeah, it's, I think it's cool. It's, it's cool. A little it's compared to this, some of the Karis Levert slander I see out there. Uh, you know, a lot of people didn't really see how he fit on this team. Um, when he did come in, he looked like he was trying to like force things to happen. Um, he's kind of a guy who it looks best when the offense, to an extent, revolves around him, and that just wasn't happening a lot of the time uh, with the addition of Kyrie Irving. So. We got to see him back in that role, and it's so fun. There is like the question of whether he can like really lead a great team on offense, but I think he's inching closer to that. I've been impressed by his passing. He's not like making insane reads, but he's consistently making solid reads. And when you combine that with his like continually improving shot making, there is something there, and I think he has a place as a really ball dominant guy in the NBA somewhere. I'm not sure if that's Brooklyn yet. You know, there is the idea of like staggering him with Kyrie and KD next year. Um, I still feel like that will lead, you know, you, you can't, I don't know how much time you can give him even there in that role. I'm kind of confused, but I do know that I like watching him have the keys to an offense and hope that continues somewhere, if not Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and, and, and Brett, we can talk about sort of our feelings of, of Karis too. I mean, definitely the one thing that I've been most impressed by and, and even today was most impressed by. I mean, I think today, you know, coming into this game and coming into this series, I think we knew that, you know, n- no team perhaps in the entire country has more guys to throw at somebody like Karis Levert than the Raptors do. I mean, it's just like, even, even at the beginning, I feel like they were just throwing Lowry and Van Vliet on him, which seems like a somewhat favorable matchup, but like, damn, like... <laughs> You know, if, if you're not having Pascal Siakam's gadget arms and OG Ananobi just blanketing you everywhere, now you've got fucking Kyle Lowry's fire hydrant ass and, and Fred Van Vliet, you know, coming <laughs> tenaciously swatting the ball away from you. Did like, you just, did you just say Kyle Lowry's fire hydrant ass? <laughs> yeah, and you did, I think I got um, fire hydrant ass in Mexico once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I intended that to be like his ass is a <laughs> or if he's just like, you know. I mean, have you ever out. tried to like drive into a fire hydrant? He, I mean, he is, he, is, he is a human fire All hydrant. the time, Scott. A fair description. <laughs> it doesn't work out well, so driving into fire hydrants wouldn't recommend. That Yeah, that I, I have not had that privilege. I've driven into other things, but not a fire hydrant. Um, I, everyone needs to try it once. <laughs> like and mine are like garage doors like i'm not you know <laughs> okay. like people in crosswalks or anything crazy um 2020 bushes drive into a fire hydrant um yeah so i mean listen i wouldn't want to be guarded by kyle Lowry's fire hydrant ass um <laughs> anyway point being not a lot of respites uh for somebody like karis lavert you know i think they made him work for everything and i think their their game plan was basically like hey we're gonna get the ball out of your hands and make somebody else beat us and he ended the game with 15 assists. So, um, you know, I, I think it's been nice that he that they kind of. I think they were a little bit apprehensive at the beginning to just run him out there as the starting point guard, and and I think he's performed really well in that role. And in particular, I felt like he he kind of struggled in that role earlier this season. Um, I, you know, I remember them kind of leaving him in at point guard, Kenny leaving him in at point guard in the first game against Minnesota, um, which they ended up losing when Kyrie's and one mixtape shot didn't go in. Um, and, and, you know, I felt like that stretch cost them the game because he just really wasn't quite prepared to, to be running the team. So I think it's good growth for him to be 
um, in this lead facilitator role and doing as well as he is? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's really interesting because part of the, uh, I think, reason people are kind of low on him is that he really uh, seems to be figuring stuff out on the fly at times. And, you know, he did just turn 26. Um, so it's like, it's not like, you you know, you have this like breakout star necessarily. Um, he's kind of been around this level for the last two years getting incrementally better. So I think that's where the confusion comes in where it's like, you know, by that age, you want a guy who can kind of just reliably contribute regardless of what situations are being thrown at him. But, but I do feel like, um, and Brad, I promise we'll, I'll let you talk at some point. Uh, I, I do feel like though the entire time he's been in Brooklyn, he's had either Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyrie Irving. So it, I, I think it's been a little bit difficult for him to figure out what that role is. And he's kind of become this like generic long limbed, uh, like canvas for people to project whatever the nets need on him. Like, you know, talk of him as, Oh, he'll be, he'll be a wing stopper defender, um, and a catch and shoot three point specialist. And he really hasn't necessarily shown that he's ever been those things. Um, and I don't know if it's fair to expect him to be, if for no other reason, then that's just what the Nets don't have. And he's usually been hurt, so it's he's always been the guy that's, you know, oh, when Karis LeVert comes back, that'll fix this problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love the guy. I just am saying I can see why, you know, some of that flack or, like, desires to trade him um, show up because, you know, there is the question of how much more he has left developmentally. Well, outside of the three-point shot, it's it's tough to see too much more there developmentally, especially with the array of mid-range and, and post moves he's shown in the bubble. I have heard, which which is tough because that's arguably the most important skill if you are going to try to retain and fit him around two incredibly ball-dominant starts-to-floor shooters. It, I, I did, and I forget what podcast is. I think it was the, the Low and Thorpe podcast when David Thorpe brought up Karis as a Ginobili type role off the bench, which you alluded to earlier. And that does seem enticing. And I think that's sexy to talk about because that does mirror a team that won a ton of championships together. But thinking about this team, it that almost makes more sense to me in the regular season as a way to severely limit Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant's minutes. And then when they inevitably miss five, 10, 15 games a season, have another ball dominant creator there to take their place than it does in the postseason when those two stars minutes are going to be ratcheted up and he doesn't necessarily fit around them from a floor spacing perspective. I, I wanted to get your take on if that made sense or if the Nets would be better off looking elsewhere and thinking about him in a Ginobili-esque role or if you think it's better to cut ties and see how much value we can get out of him. Yeah, it, it kind of is a bummer because, I, I mean, like, it seems like, you know, if you're getting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, is Karis LeVert probably the best um, 
fit or can you, you know, use him, trade him to a team that could use him more to get back a piece that fits with those guys? Like that's kind of the no brainer question. Right. And then the problem is for me, is that I just love Karis Levert so much. Us um, too. <laughs> that's why we're trying to find a way so desperately to fit him in with the team. It's like, how do we make it work? Exactly. Where it's like, I want it to work. It's just, I can't really, you know, justify putting all your resources, especially if Dinwiddie's there um, towards shot creation when there's op- there's so many obvious uh, needs that the, you know, let Nets could really fill. Um, I just, I don't know. I like watching him play. Uh, something that I just noticed, he, I've always described him as kind of a human knife. Um, and I don't know who else I could describe as that. But just the way he kind of attacks the rim, it reminds me of just like a knife cutting through butter. You know, it's very skinny, um, but precise and, you know, effect- effective. Uh, I can't, yeah, he's the only player who moves the way he does, which is why I, I'm so, uh, you know, interest, intrigued by him, let's say. I have like so many metaphors that I have thought of just for his game. Because, you know, I, I, sometimes I describe him as like, almost like a snake, just the way he kind of like slithers through things or just yep. like, I, you know, pulls up to a defender, stops on a dime, does the Alex Mack turn into Capri Sun and like ends up on the other side somehow. Um, Alex Mack? I, I don't know. You may be too young for that reference, Scott. Uh, it was wait, wait. Show. Okay. Oh, no. I'm thinking of uh, – never mind. No, I don't know who Alex Mack is. <laughs> we'll send you some YouTube clips. It was, okay. It's not worth it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or like, I remember I read an article, this must've been back in like the free Darko days, but, um, an article about like basketball players whose moves come on the offbeat. And I feel like Karis kind of reminds me of that, like a, like Thelonious Monk or like a jazz piano player or something where like his whole thing is, is just being slightly off of where you think he's going to be. Um, and then the one I just thought of, uh, watching them, um, I don't remember which bubble game it was, but. Have you guys seen Toy Story 3? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've all cried during Toy Story 3. Definitely very, in very the top sad. three of Toy Story movies, for sure. <laughs> Beats the hell out of There's four. four of them now. Um, <laughs> hey, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a compliment. <laughs> Way better than four. Uh, the, the scene where, like, when, when Mr. Potato Head puts all his, like, eyes and limbs on the tortilla and is just kind of, like, flopping around and throwing, like, one part out ahead, sometimes that, that like, reminds me of Karis LeVert as well. Because he oh, just okay. fits through spaces that, like, it doesn't seem possible for him to, to do. Um, and he just stops and starts and changes direction with just, like, a completely different, almost, like, inhuman is the wrong word, but just, like, not a normal human way of moving around. Thank you for making a reference recognizable by at least sixty-five percent of America. Hey, we, we go from Alex. It's really Mack funny to because Story three, you know, we got them all covered. Thelonious Monk, you know, we got it. We got covered our bases. Sorry, I was quiet that time because I wanted to find in my notes app uh, all the notes I took on the first half of Karis versus uh, Clippers. I'll read them out loud. Please do. Quarter one, ten minutes in, snake and knife, which is funny because I called him a knife and Carl called him a snake, but. I called it when he snaked the pick and roll and then he kind of knifes through. Um, slithery hop step. He had a slithery hop step. That's another one of my favorite. Yeah. And then I, I had three minutes, 30 in, I said, what is Lavert? 
Weird nowhere <laughs> dribbles, picks them up, hits Temple on cut. Yeah. Absolute knifing through the paint <laughs> is what I literally <laughs> And then slippery, and then and then I have on second quarter. There's a note for a slippery drive. Yeah. Okay. That, so I feel like you know the slippery drive hits my Alex Mack comment. The the various snake ones hit my uh, yeah hit my snake one. And you know the, the tortilla is a little abstract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was hitting Garrett Temple. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That was it. Definitely. She's okay, very tortilla like. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you know. You don't want to just fill up tortilla with meat, you know, which is the points. You want to get an assist in there, exactly. Um, which can be the ingredient of your choice. Vegetable. Yeah, exactly. So, or maybe it's. Oh yeah, the tortillas. Tortilla. You know, more than just a, 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 a one ingredient thing. Now, I, I'm I'm trying, guys. Hey, we're we're putting you in a weird spot here. That's okay. Um, <laughs> we're all supporting each other, and that's what matters. <laughs> so. <laughs> So let's move beyond Karis Levert, and I think we can come back uh, to you know because I, listen, I think he's had a fantastic bubble. I think he's he's kind of been everything next Nets fans hoped he would be, um, and and more certainly in the in the bubble piece. I, well, I shouldn't say that I guess because he hasn't been a, a complimentary uh, star to you know somebody else, which is I guess what some of us want him to be long term. Um, but I think, you know, he, he has brought it an equivalent to kind of any of the various points of charismania early on. But let's talk about some of the other folks in the Nets roster because, you know, I think obviously, you know, the Nets have been a little bit the talk of the bubble for um, the going five and three for the effort that they expended uh, in the Blazers game, which, you know, they seem to be the only team that actually tried to to win one of the, the games that day that, that didn't have something to play for. I mean, I guess... Scott, like, what are your what are your overall impressions of the supporting cast of the Nets? What do you what do you think of Jacques Vaughn's performance as coach? Like, do you have any other any other thoughts there? Or any other folks that have stepped out or shown out to you? Yeah, for Jacques Vaughn, I haven't like noticed like that much specific to coaching, but you can tell the guys like are playing for him, playing hard for him. I mean, maybe some of that is like. Uh, let me t- is is Tyler Johnson's contract expiring cuz he's been shooting the hell out of the ball. Well, I think Tyler Johnson is uh was cut, so yes. Oh. I, I think his contract did expire, right? Cuz he got cut by Phoenix. Yeah, that's right. On that's a right. Team. So he's looking for another one of those contracts, yes. you know. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, we saw it with Timothy Luau Cabarro um before the shutdown, but we're seeing it even more. Jarrett Allen did the off-season trope of adding muscle, and he just looks more solid now. You always needed, you always felt like you needed like a Ed Davis or like a, in Nets case DeAndre Jordan um, to handle some of the bulkier opponents, but Allen looks, other than Embiid, uh, pretty equipped to guard most guys now. Joe Harris is great. Everyone's just been, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of that 2018-2019 Nets season without uh, D'Angelo or Dinwiddie, which often happened since it seemed like nobody was healthy all at once that season. That's true. I mean, it, it has reminded me of that. I mean, I definitely, um, the one sort of caveat that I was always reminding myself of not to be a pessimist, because it's been really fun watching this team. It's frankly been more fun watching this team, I think, in the bubble than it has been at any other point this season, to be honest. I mean, except for maybe 
um, one of the early games when when Kyrie was looking really good, um, or like the Lakers preseason game in China. <laughs> Might have been my other high point, <laughs> or, or, or the Celtics come back, and that's that's really you just yes, the, yes, that's it. Yeah, um, for, I, I needed I needed the year off from Kyrie Irving. After, you know, yeah, I'm sure I, you I, I, I kind of allude to it, but as much as I like every team, at the end of the day, I do root for the Celtics, um, and I get sad when they disappoint me or let me down, um, which you know kind of did happen in Kyrie's case, but it's whatever. He didn't want to be here. It's, I understand. Yeah. Um, anyway. But I guess what, what I was going to say about the the bubble nets is like, w- you know, Brad and I were also talking about like, okay, well, what if, you know, when, when the news was like, hey, everybody has COVID and nobody's going to play. Um, and we were like, well, if they lose every game and then wind up with a lottery pick, that's probably not the worst thing in the world. But I think we kind of came to the realization like right before it was starting that A, the Wizards are way worse. And B, um, every single person on this roster with the sole notable exception of Garrett Temple, who is the exact same role, despite the fact that he's playing with the Nets like G plus league team as he would with their A team. um, Every single person has something to prove and is playing for something during this time, whether it's proving that they could be a legitimate star like Karis LeVert, proving that they should be a starter like, like Jared Allen or, 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 you know, guys like Chris Chioza or Justin Anderson, or, um, you know, proving that they should be in the league. Lance Thomas proving he should be back in the league. Jamal Crawford, who I think is just biding time on that hamstring to come in when they're down three Oh, in this series drop 50 in a losing effort in game four and <laughs> call it a, call it a career again. <laughs> um, you know, everybody, get, everybody had game on highlights and a absolutely of saying how it's messed up that nobody signed Jamal Crawford. Yep. Yep. And then he can go back into hiding. Um, no, I, you know, I think everybody's, playing for something. And I think during those initial seeding games, that was um, worth a little bit more maybe than it, than it will be in the playoffs, but we'll see. That is why they were trying. Definitely. Like it, they, everyone, it was so weird. Cause I hadn't really keyed on them too much. I went back and watched a bunch of games, but I didn't keyed on them too much when they played Portland and Portland had to win that game. And I was like, what do the nets like hate? The Portland Trailblazers, like, did did they really feel like they, uh, you know, wish they had Mason Plumlee back in exchange for Rondé Hollis Jefferson, or you know, are still salty about the Damian Lillard trade from the Billy King era? Like, what is going on? Um, I mean, why are yeah, they trying so the, hard? We're certainly yes, still the, salty about that. To, to the latter, yes. <laughs> He's a top ten player, but yeah, um, they definitely look like they wanted to ruin the Blazers' season, more or less. And it Which we did last year for them too by breaking Yusuf Nurkic's ankle. Oh yeah. So, I forgot that happened against you guys. I only remember because Brett and I watched the entire double overtime game and then tried to report record a podcast and I sounded like an absolute fucking cadaver. I put it on like two x speed and I was like, "Damn, I sound tired." <laughs> <laughs> and then it just sounded like normal speed when you put it on two x speed. Yeah. I thought for that game we were going to sit all of our starters and throw the bench players in and we were still going to compete with the Blazers because they were playing for contracts but to throw somebody like Karras and Jared and Joe in there and have them play that hard that was very surprising to me I thought at least we were going to sit them for the fourth quarter did you guys notice like Karras's body language when he hit, missed that shot like at the oh, end oh yeah he was he, he was crushed 
he was so yeah. in, in that I thought the body language after he missed that shot, and then the body language after Dane picked his pocket when he was bringing bringing the oh, ball yeah. over half court too. That was that was the defining play of the game for me yeah. right there. Like you saw Karis kind of like really make his like CJ like tried to you know dap him up after, and he was you could tell he wasn't his his head wasn't really in that, and he kind of just went off to the tunnel as soon as possible. He wanted to get out of there. Which, like, I understand, you know? Like, he's really taking these games personally. He's playing really hard. And even if he's they're in the playoffs regardless, um, it really is kind of cool to see how much he cares. How much he cares and how much him caring can affect the game, too. Because I think there's a lot of guys that care, but they can't do as much as Karras does. So to get that right. combination of caring and talent, that's when you know you have somebody special, which is, again, why this is like trying to make a, a relationship that's clearly failing work. Because there's love there. There's still love there, Scott. How do we make this work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been – I mean, we can get to ideas uh, – like how with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, maybe you need these guys to go to a different team to really realize themselves. Uh, maybe this is the next level of that. Um, I guess that's what happens when you uh, court two max players. Is a lot of the a lot of the fan favorites and guys who are really good players um, kind of get marginalized. Yeah, I was I was. Um actually kind of surprised that that Rondé only had six points today because I think I, I must have seen all six i was multitasking for some of the game and i went back and rewatched a little bit but just watching him kind of make his quick cuts along the baseline with you know abaka who is just raining threes um at the top of the break you know as a as a pop out five and then you know letting ronde kind of run baseline behind uh former uh atlanta falcons cornerback dante hall uh, who's playing center um it's really great you know, when <laughs> It were, it's really great how the Rondé thing worked out exactly as I hoped. When does that ever happen with NBA? I, I legitimately don't think that there's a better situation for him. Than, <laughs> it's so great than that. I'm, I'm, I'm like I told, like I was texting you before. Like there have been times when I've done my wacky scenarios and wake up in a cold sweat and te- text Brett at four in the morning, being like, "What if we, what if we got Jeremy Grant?" Um, and, <laughs> And I, I keep trying to bring Rondé back and I I just can't make, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm like, I can't, I mean, unless he came with a Baca, which I don't think would make sense. Like I just can't bring myself to take him off that team because he's just so perfect for what the Raptors are trying to do. Um, it's the perfect place to maximize, maximize his talents and, and, you know, playing him next to somebody like Ibaka or, or Gasol, like it, it just allows him to show all of the different gifts he has, like on the offensive side of the ball and not, the one glaring one that's the most important one that he doesn't have. And and it lets him unlock his wing defense, right? Because I think the cool thing about this is he also strengthens a strength for the Raptors. Um, they obviously have an embarrassment of perimeter defense and just limbs everywhere. And, you know, it's nice that you can like incubate him on offense and still keep that crazy defensive integrity up even when one of the starters sits. Right, because like to your point at the beginning of this, you know, the Raptors have eight NBA starters. Well, and then they also have somebody like like Rondé, who probably isn't an NBA-level starter because he can't shoot, but is, an, you know, NBA, maybe not an all-defense, but certainly a very, very high-level yeah. best defender on your team-level defender and, like, would have been in a Tony Allen role had this been 15, 20 years ago. So, um, 
you know, it's, it's cool that, that they're able to, to unlock that and, and utilize that. Absolutely. That's cool if you're trying to play them in a playoff series though. <laughs> so I guess, um, why don't we round out just like talking about this series, like with, you know, is there, is there anything else that you're looking for from any particular Nets players, whether it be in this series or just setting up their future going forward? Uh, I'll ask that to both of you, but why don't we let, we'll let Scott first, Brett. Uh, All right. First I might steal yours, Brett, but you have to, I mean, my, my, I, I think the next of Timothy Luau Cabarro, um, just because that is kind of the rotation guy that will ideally be on the team next to uh, what this team is at, at full strength. And uh, this is a guy who, you know, I wrote for the Liberty Ballers a little bit this year, um, followed a lot of the Sixers because, you know, Carl, my Brett, or Brett, my Carl, uh, whose name is Ethan, is a huge Sixers fan. And um, so I get really invested in that. It's a little tense between us, but not really. We're able to joke about most things. Um, he keeps telling me Sixers are going to win this series in five. And after today's loss, he said, can't win in five without losing a game. Um, Typical and, yeah. Sixers fan. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, he had basically like given up on Timothy Lawu Cabarro. Like we all kind of ex- we 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 had some kind of hope for him because he could shoot and he's athletic. Um, but it just never really materialized in Philadelphia, and it's to the point where it's like, well, you know, you kind of get fatigued. Where he could eventually become a a, a player, but you get fatigued um, from hoping for so long only to not see it happen. So it's kind of funny to have to watch him deal with him, like making finally making threes now and, you know, contributing to winning basketball. It's brutal. And it happened right after the rookie contract ended too. Couldn't get any value out of that. Oh, that's a good point. So he'll be a free agent. Won't he? Uh, no, we have him for how many more years? One, one more year. Uh, yeah. I think the Nets sign him. When they uh, convert him from a two-way midway, got it. Place, oh, they right. Have him under contract next season at one point eight million. Well, I, I, I uh, and also um, he's a guy with a uh, kind of a sick sense of humor, in my opinion. Um, I was in, when I was in the Vegas summer league. He was sitting courtside with some of his friends, and uh, the half court shot participant was way short of the rim. And he spent the next like two minutes with his friends, just like laughing uncontrollably about that. <laughs> so I realized, yeah, this this guy gets it, and he's showing he can play on on the nets. That's my Timothy Luau Cabarro story. I told you guys I had one before we started recording, and I forced it in there. There you go. Do you do you feel like he? Do you think the path for him next year is is to be like in the ten man rotation with this team because he's such a, a sort of cost controlled talent and somebody who um you know i think can, can slide to multiple positions and shoot or do you think that he's played himself to the point where you know he's an asset and, and they can include him in a deal to to try to get somebody else like what do you think that the path will be there i think he's one of those guys who you need to rely on for production on a minimum contract uh, i remember the first time i was on the show it was like the draft episode and uh i was saying like just draft i mean Claxton was a good pick and he could really contribute in the ne- in the coming years. But my kind of general strategy, if I was the Nets, was to like find guys who I felt comfortable um, giving me some 
rotation production on their minimum contract, given how much money's tied up elsewhere. Um, so he kind of fits that bill, even though the Nets didn't draft him. He's the exact kind of guy. Uh, Chios is kind of like that too, where it's like, you need these guys who aren't making that much money to <laughs> fill out the rotation because, you know, the guys at the top are making so much money. Well, what's funny is that he's your typical Nets fine too, because the Nets haven't necessarily destroyed it in the draft, but they ha- where they have really crushed it is second chance NBA lives with guys like Dinwiddie and Luabo Cabrero and Joe Harris and, and finding those diamonds in a rough that didn't make it on their first contract with their first teams and somehow find a, a second life for the Nets, whether it's with Kenny or now, now with Jock Vaughn. So just, he, he fits that, uh, that Sean Marks Nets motif. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they were one of the most, I mean, maybe it's because they had no way to acquire young talent otherwise, but we all, you know, know about them throwing pretty steep restricted offers at, Alan Crabb, Otto Porter Jr., and Tyler Johnson. and uh, Hey, two of which we ended really up with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two of those three. Um, it's funny how they actually, uh, the Blazers matched that, and then they basically salary dumped him to the Nets. Like, no, actually, we were kidding. Uh, you want him still? <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't mean to match it. Yeah. It's oh, one of those things. Yeah. DocuSign makes it so easy to sign contracts nowadays. I click the oh, button. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know how it is. I'm working 24 7. I'm Neil Olshay. I don't catch a break. You think I can really think of it? Yeah. Like running an NBA team is my full time job. Come on, guys. Uh, can you give us a pick, too? Cool. Have okay. you heard of Neil Olshay's Apple Fritters? <laughs> That's my real hustle. Oh, no. Olshay's Fritters? <laughs> well, I guess he's got to. Work on that some more then. <laughs> Wait, is that a real? That's a real product. I wish. Oh, I was really hoping be, that it I'd was. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. Guy. Yeah, I mean, if I ever see him, you know, going back to summer league, I'll ask him how the apple fritter business is doing. Just you no should. context. You should. Hey, well, being the UConn fans that we are, when Shabazz Napier was in Portland, I think there was a brand of coffee either named after him oh, or Stump, Stump, no Stumptown. Was it Stumptown? Uh, was he was yeah. he advertising for Stumptown? Yeah, he was in a Stumptown uh, like a internet video commercial. It was fantastic. Good for him. I don't know if you've seen that, Scott, but we'll uh, maybe we'll, we'll pipe the music in the outro or something. Shabazz or, or, or we won't finish yeah. recording until 10.30. <laughs> we'll text that to you right after the uh, Alex Mack YouTube highlights. Shabazz <laughs> <laughs> um, Napier is an unrestricted free agent. That'll be interesting. My, my dream is, uh, I, I mean, Brad Wanamaker has been doing really well for the Celtics, but I mean, how cool would it be to mimic the uh, UConn 2011 point guard rotation with Kemba Walker starting and Shabazz Napier uh, as backup point guard? Oh. You can do it, but you have to bring Tyler Olander in. To- <laughs> <laughs> I think he fits well. He'd be like Carson. He'd be like Carson Edwards, but good. I mean, I Tyler can't Olander? disagree so far. Um, all right. So, Brett, uh, anything anything that you were specifically watching for uh, on the Nets as, as we go through this series? Yeah, I mean, mine's more development of the players that – of two of the players that have a small, a slight chance of being here next season, Joe Harris and Jared Allen. I think most Nets fans remember both players struggling mightily against another staunch defensive team in the Philadelphia 76ers at full strength. Last year, Karras played great in that series, but 
Joe Harris shot very poorly. I was looking at the stats earlier, and, and it was worse than I remembered. In, in five games, he was four for twenty-one or nineteen percent from three, and it's a, it's a far cry from the forty-plus percent shooting, top five shooting in the league we've expected to see from him. And he only had a positive net rating in, in one game, which is also very rare for him. And then Allen going up against Embiid. Last year was he was manhandled. He never he never grabbed double digit rebounds. I don't think he blocked more than one shot in a game that entire series. And he was our guy, much like he is this year, because Ed Davis got injured and wasn't able to play, which is a huge huge loss for us at the time. Because as Scott said earlier, Jarrett was still coming into his body. So I just I'm looking to see. And Joe had an, an awesome game today, so that looks like. That's already improved, but how those guys were able to make adjustments against another incredibly intense, switchy, long, tough defense, um, Joe Harris in that respect, and then also against really, really strong, big interior shot blocking presences with Marcus Ole and, and Serge Ibaka. So I think this is, you know, regardless of how the series turns out, whether it's four or five, or the Nets pull off some sort of miracle and extend it, seeing how those two guys have improved 12 months after not showing out in their first playoff appearance will be super intriguing to me. Yeah. I actually, for some reason predicted Raptors in five and with my, uh, another friend who, invite, uh, who I was on his podcast and, uh, he said, why? I said, I don't know. Just, I like Karis Levert. Um, so my official prediction is Raptors in five. Um, he's like, how, how is that going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. Karis is great. So I do think the Nets can catch a game. I yeah. think especially, I mean, like they shot pretty horribly. I think uh, yeah. three today. And I, I think they'll just have a game where, and, and you know, Fred Van Vliet's not going to make like nine of 10. Like he that's did. what the Bucks said. Well, that's, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, eight, excuse me, eight of 10. I <laughs> cited a preposterously high number and it was only off by one. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm looking at, so so I guess two things. I mean, on, on the Jared Allen point, like I've been impressed with him in the bubble uh, in terms of his passing, his facilitating, and he's grown a lot in that area over the course of this season. Um, and then also, you know, one tactical difference I've seen from Jacques Vaughn, and I'm not sure how much of it is him, his philosophy as a coach, and or the fact that he's like at any given moment running out a lineup with like four college point guards and like, you know, Rodion's Karuk's at the five, um, but they've switched a lot more. Uh, they haven't exclusively played the, the same drop coverage that they have played. Uh, so, you know, he's been popping out on the perimeter a little bit and um, you know, mixed results, but, but you know, showing that he can somewhat hold his own out there. So um, I don't know that he'll do that much of it in this series. Uh, I think with Allen, like, I think the interesting thing is he's actually really struggles, I think, against any... Um, for stretching centers. Uh, and so this is a particularly difficult matchup for him because there's always one on the floor no matter what. Uh, but at the same time, Nets Twitter will think that he's much better off than if they played a traditional post center because um, for some reason, if you score two points against him in the paint, that's a sign of less manliness. Uh, whereas if he gives up open threes because he's too late closing out, that's a much more virile way to go down. Um, I mean, I'll tell you guys, Embiid really had his way with Daniel Tice in the post, but... That, that, that's okay if you can kind of limit the damage overall. So I think uh, it's – I'm, I'm with you there, you know. Jarrett, I'm not worried about too much about the post defense. Um, 
And I guess the other thing that uh, I'm, I'm watching for would be, um, I guess just Tyler Johnson, like, you know, does he have a role? Um, I, we, we've talked a little bit about him, you know, potentially, I mean, A, you know, the potential that he might sign uh, for a, you know, Sean Marks bought my mom a house special discount. Um, and B, like, could he could he be somebody that could slide into what I lovingly refer to as the Shabazz Napier role of, um, you know, the 11th guy in the rotation, but the guy that, you know, ends up playing a ton of minutes when somebody goes down and, and can be a spark plug off the bench. Um, so I'd be be looking for that. Where, where are you guys on uh, Chris Chioza? Because I've actually, I've really liked what I've seen from him. Maybe I'm a little late to the party. I know this was going on in like uh, February-ish, um, but... He's been awesome. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. So there was a uh, Nets Twitter was a buzz <laughs> recently when Kevin Durant made his first podcast appearance, and God knows how long he's been pushing thirty four ventures so hard that he hasn't really gone in other forms of media. And I believe it was too- not hard enough for you to know that it's thirty five ventures. Damn it, it's thirty five ventures. I knew it. <laughs> it's his number or his old number. Continue. Uh, um, but yeah, it's it's two. The podcast was two WNBA players, and I think it was their second ever episode. And they got KD to come on, and they asked him which Nets players had surprised him the most. And of course, Karis's name came up, but the only other person that he mentioned was Chris Chioza out of all of the Nets players to be on the team this season, which was shocking to most people. So that has the Nets Twitter conspiracy theorists all uh, talking to each other about, well, Chris Chiosa has to be on the team next season. <laughs> and he, I mean, listen, he's been, he's been really fun to watch. It's been nice to have a, a floor general. And, and Carl and I have, have talked a few times about how he reminds us of one of those old school, bring the ball up, doesn't turn it over, gets everybody involved, point guards that were in the league in the early 2000s, late 90s, like thinking like an Eric Snow type or, you know, one of those guys that didn't really provide that much shooting, didn't space the floor, but played very sound basketball and didn't really screw anything up. And, uh, you know, the Nets are in a spot where they, uh, they need some competent ball handlers, so he fits okay with this team. I mean, my, my thought is just you could do worse for a third-string point guard, and, and I think your third-string point guard is going to get some work next year because I anticipate that Kyrie Irving will not play 82 games. So, you know, whether the, you have spent – I mean, some of that could be somebody like a Karis LeVert sliding into a point guard role when, when they're not necessarily playing that all the time. But um, I, I do think that there will be space for somebody to off the bench so if he's a, if he's a guy that they can convert from a two-way and, and have uh, you know on the cheap um i definitely think it makes sense to keep him around all right so uh that's 45 minutes of not talking about karis levert trade scenarios shall we progress <laughs> oh we've been so excited for this portion of the podcast <laughs> Scott, would you like me to? So these are not, to be clear, uh, exclusively Karis Levert trade scenarios. Oh, okay. Um, uh, because some of them I've very uh, like gone way out of my way to try to keep him on the team. Um, but let me let me just throw a couple of these out there, and you could just tell me I'm crazy uh, or not. So I'm gonna, I guess two two main ones I think that that we've looked at. Um, one is, and this was admittedly when the athletic article came out um, around the discord between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, um, you know, my spidey senses went up figuring that 
despite the fact that you'd still have to work out the politics with DeAndre Jordan and um, Rudy Gobert doesn't seem particularly likable, so that <laughs> might make things more complicated. I don't know. I, seemed- I, I, I liked he, – he came off as likable to me um, for some reason in that uh, Mark Spears article just because he was like really self-aware about how he was kind of a jerk sometimes. You like, know what I think it is? A guy who's just like, you know, he's – he just he just says stuff. It's whatever. Um, you, you know what I think know, it that, is. That's not for everyone, though. You, you know what I think it is, and I don't want to traffic in stereotypes, like cartoonish stereotypes. But he's he's just French, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, like literally, he's just French. Um, it's like I remember one time when we were out, out to dinner, and the waiter, my my wife was like, "The waiter's being such an asshole to us," and she like kind of called him on it, and he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm Swedish," and he and she was like, "Oh, okay, I get that." Um, well, are they just I mean, like very matter of fact people? Yeah, they're just very, like very sarcastic and and okay. like um, yeah, exactly, just like very blunt. Okay, um, I mean he so, was definitely uh, blunt about not getting the ball in pick and rolls. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so anyway, he is also I think a fantastic opportunity to add a ton of value to a team as somebody that does not need the ball. Um, and so if. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are, are taking turns dribbling the air out of it. Uh, he would be somebody that would be relatively unaffected by that. So I was thinking if you throw together, my, my thought was with Jared Allen, you give the Jazz the opportunity to recoup close to, uh, about as close to the what Durant, uh, what Gobert gives you as you're going to find in the league on a reasonably uh, reasonable contract. So Allen, Torian Prince, Karis LeVert, and I'm thinking the 2022 first, so that would be the first first round pick after uh, KD's player option would expire um, for Gobert, and I threw in George Niang uh, to make the salaries match. Do you think that is something that Utah would consider, or am I crazy? I mean, I, I, it really comes down to whether they feel they need to trade Gobert. Um I do think they maybe have cold feet about the Supermax, but I think they'll do it anyway because they're Utah, and who are they going to use that space on anyway? Um, George Niang uh, would be a great, just as, a, as an aside, would be a great player for the Nets. You know, he's a four <laughs> who spaced the hell out of the floor, uh, can make quick reads. I'm almost more excited for the George Niang bit, but that just exposes how weird I am about basketball. Um, I've thought about Gobert too. Like you want guys who can have high impact without usage, like you said, and that's exactly Gobert. Yeah. And, and I, um, you know, I, I couched Niang as just a throne, but I was actually quite excited about him. I was, <laughs> yeah. You were like, you were like being like, Oh, I guess you could throw him in, but like just for a negotiation tactic, yeah, but you were exactly. really, you were really, really secretly about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think just cause you know, the, that four position is one that, you know, in a way, I guess they've solved it with with Durant, but just having somebody who can kind of come in and play a little bit big, uh, but also stretch the floor is, is something that they've needed for so long. Um, and and I, you know, Durant gives you that in a way, but I think somebody that you know you could potentially look at like putting putting in a five out lineup without like a traditional center. Although I guess if you have Gobert and DeAndre Jordan, you probably have a traditional center on the floor at all times. So I, I don't know if that necessarily matters. Can I can I propose a trade? Please. All right. Um, this is the one. This is my one. Um, so basically that package, if you feel like this is too much, you can take out Jared Allen um, 
for Al Horford. Interesting. So I, wow. I I feel like we've talked about. I haven't put a package together, but I, we've talked about Horford. I so but Levert and Prince. Yeah, or, and, and and then like they could use Allen, but if you feel like you know, you know Horford's great, but he's not quite as good as Gobert. Um, maybe you throw in Allen anyway, um, just because they do need that backup center um, behind Embiid. And, you know, maybe you don't, I don't know, F- make the value however you like. I'm not here to <laughs> make it 50, 50. Cause I don't, I don't want to hear uh, someone on, on replies going, that's way too much for Al Horvath. I don't know. But basically I think it's a pretty good deal because you can kind of play Al Horford at the four. The Sixers can't, but you guys could um, because Kyrie and Katie aren't as spacing dependent as some guys on the Sixers. Um, Simmons, for one. And then, like, you've seen Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson do much better when they can, like, attack a pretty spaced floor because they don't have that, like, next-level shot-making of, you know, the two best players on your team. And uh, so Horford could slot in as the four. He could... uh, which would maybe not rock the boat as much with DeAndre um, and, uh, you know, also be the backup center um, when DeAndre sits. And then uh, also, I think Karras would just, like, I'm watching Philly play Boston, and I just think they need that Karras LeVert-type guy to just get them a bucket. You know, a lot of reliance on Alec Burks that game. What if you plug uh, Dinwiddie in instead of Karras? Okay. Um, That's not bad. Uh, I mean, they could definitely use Dinwiddie too. I didn't think about that. I just my, my my buddy that's a Sixers fan has asked me on multiple occasions. Um, pretend contract kind of thing. Would you trade uh, Spencer Dinwiddie for Tobias Harris straight up right now? Uh, and I, I okay, so it's very hard for me to pretend contracts are not a thing. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> um, I think I think Tobias is kind of in the same on like I know he has like forward size, but I think he's almost in the same camp as uh, Karis LeVert or Spencer Dinwiddie, where it's like he can kind of run your offense and is like most comfortable doing that. Um, I think he's kind of gotten better off ball, you know, making those quick decisions that you need to do to keep the ball moving. Um, but it's still he still looks more comfortable like using those high pick and roll isolations. Um, so he's not the guy I'd target necessarily. I'd probably prefer Al Horford, honestly, on the Nets. Um, but that's an interesting one. Yeah, I do too. I, 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 I mean, contracts are a thing, so that deal sort of is voided. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't hate that deal um, for Horford. I do, I do worry a little bit about the value, um, just because of the struggles that Horford that that the Sixers have had this year with, with Horford. Um, the elephant in the room also being that you have Kyrie Irving and right. You know, I don't know if they necessarily, I don't, I don't know how they feel towards each other, but I know that some guys didn't like some guys on that uh, Celtics team last year. Yeah. That's a very good, that's a very good point. Yeah. I think lots of um, guys didn't like one guy, but yeah. I, I do like the Horford idea. It's I like it as a buy low type of situation on Horford, right? Which I don't know if we're doing in that in in this yeah. in this scenario. But it's like how little could we include and still get him, knowing yeah, that... maybe just maybe just Levert and Prince, right? That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the problem. I mean the thing with the Nets is like there's only I mean it's Levert and Prince are never or, or I mean Prince, 
Prince is in every single deal because <laughs> there's only so many ways to match salaries and I'd rather get rid of him. Um, so, you know, there, there's only so many building blocks that you have. All right, so let me let me throw you my my real crazy one at you. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, Torian Prince, Joe Harris on a sign-in trade at 15 mil a year, and then either a sweetener of Claxton or Karuks if they want it, and a picks to New Orleans for Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball. I'm just trying to like think about what that team would look like on the Pelicans now. So it's got it's got Dinwiddie, it's got so, Din- so Dinwiddie would slot in as your starting point guard, I think. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then Levert would be a bench guy. Levert's sure. not in this trade. Oh, he's not. Um. Yeah. I just. My, I just. Okay. My, yeah. I. I don't mind that he's not in this trade for the sake of New Orleans because like I've thought I've thought I I've thought about this like. Sorry, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you space to edit that out if you want. But um, <laughs> I, we're not going to. Don't worry. Okay, I'll keep going then. <laughs> um, it's really tough because I think about this: is that like Levert and Dinwiddie don't really make sense together as a trade package, right? Right. You don't like. Rarely does a team need both. But okay. anyway, um, so it's and, and I think they sort of. Um cannibalize each other's skills exactly exactly um and uh so then joe harris obviously a great fit you know jj reddick's 35 and he he makes that oh that offense work so joe harris you know kind of oft compared to reddick himself can slide in there not to be too like yeah comparing white guys to white guys but it's kind of on the nose though and how they play that that was my thought and my thought was kind of given what we saw from them in the bubble given sort of zion's timetable and given what the west is going to look like next year it's probably not the worst move for them to you know try to stockpile some assets they're not necessarily they don't necessarily have to tank per se because first of all i think you can be very good and miss the playoffs in the west next season um, but, but I feel like, you know, trying to get guys that are more aligned to that timetable, this would allow them then to flip Reddick in another deal potentially, mm-hmm. um, if they, if they took a, a pick for it. And I feel like ball to me feels like a little bit, um, the odd or potentially the odd man out if they want to commit to Ingram, um, and, you know, obviously committing to Zion. So, and he's somebody who's, who you're going to have to make a contract decision on coming up in the next year or so. So I, I could see why they would want to walk away from him. Um, and from the Nets perspective, what I think this deal does is it really improves wing defense across the board. I love the idea of Lonzo Ball coming in as your backup point guard, but you can also run him with the first unit and have Levert drop back to that role um, you know, for, for some of the time if, if you want to you know, bring the extra defense out. Um, I didn't love the way that Lonzo played in the bubble, frankly. This was something I had thought of before it. But um, that notwithstanding, I think the fact that his three-point shot's coming along, so he's got a little bit of gravity, can be a point guard in transition, um, I think you know could play alongside KD and Kyrie at, at a defensive punch there with Drew Holiday, uh, too, could be you know kind of interesting. This is where it kind of becomes a case where, in some instances, the Nets and the Pelicans need the same thing. Um <laughs> I think Pelicans do need some like perimeter or like wing defense. Maybe like you said, it's not Drew Holiday because he is, um, you know, going to be 30 or Alonzo Ball because, you know, 
they might not have room to extend him. Um, I do think, though, they do need some wing defense, and they don't really get it back in this trade. Um, I'm not somebody who thinks Brandon Ingram will be a plus defender or maybe even neutral defender. Um, <laughs> I just think, you know, he's he, especially if he's going to be tasked with so much offense, um, it's going to be maybe and maybe like Dinwiddie there allows him to focus more on defense. But, you know, I'll, I'll it's kind of one of those I'm more likely to believe it when I see it kind of things. And um, maybe Pelicans could flip some of those guys for like a wing defender. Maybe it becomes a three team trade. But if I'm New Orleans, I'm really thinking, you know, if I'm going to give Brandon Ingram this big contract, I want to find, you know, defensive foils for him so he can, you know, play his role to the best of his ability. And, you know, maybe those don't have to be Lonzo or Drew for the reasons you mentioned. But um, I would love to get another team involved to make this trade even crazier to send like a defensive minded wing back to new Orleans. Cause I do think Dinwiddie Harris Ingram, um, while awesome offensively, I'm just like, what on defense? Yeah, that That's very fair. I mean, my, my thought was, you know, maybe do you, could you add that sort of later on? Um, given that maybe you're not trying to, to win everything right now, but that's uh, fair. That, that, but that's, that's also very convenient for me. <laughs> <laughs> right not necessarily for you know the team and then I, my, my other my other thought there was like maybe secretly trajan langdon just really likes brodeon's karuks or you know yeah that's his guy somebody <laughs> somebody that we can throw in there as like an irrational booster maybe karis levert becomes the lockdown wing defender um that everyone says he should be exactly that is like one one thing is like people talk about how Levert's like a much better defender than Dinwiddie. I don't think that that's true right now. Um, he did have a few nice plays, but I I don't focus. I haven't locked in locked in on him enough. But my my gut is that I've been noticing a few nice deflections and steals, and I don't notice a lot of bad stuff. Yes, although he he has gone through periods this season where he's I mean at least at the beginning of the season where he got a little bit lost and, and did have some bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's there. I just don't notice it as much because I don't feel like watching him on defense. I feel like watching the team with the ball. That's more fun. Exactly. That's the way you watch basketball. <laughs> those, are, those are wacky. Brett, do you have any wacky trades you want to throw in there? I, my question is, how little do you think we can give up for a player like Aaron Gordon? And I don't particularly want Gordon, but he is a name that is brought up every time an offseason trade is mentioned to add a quote-unquote third star. My thing with Aaron Gordon, he's, he's a lot closer in play type to Tobias Harris than a lot of people think. And that's not meant as an insult to Tobias. I just mentioned how I don't see him as like a elite role player type if he were to go to Nets. Um, I think Gordon's a guy who's kind of just used to dribbling the ball a lot. You know, he kind of acted as their main pick and roll guy down the stretch for them. Um, and this idea that he'll morph into this elite athletic role player is kind of just the fact that he's a Rorschach test by being so athletic and people see whatever they want to see in him. Um, that's my gut in terms of how Aaron Gordon would fit on the nets. That being said, I think he can, you know, provide baseline competency and on ball defense and shooting, um, not too sold on his off ball defense. Um, and maybe, you know, just that is like, that's kind of what you wanted from Tori and Prince. And he didn't quite do that. Um, so I think he could be like what nets fans hoped Tori and Prince would be. And that might sound like an insult to Gordon, but I think some people were pretty bullish on uh, Prince being a, par- a big part of this rotation and maybe even starting. 
I think we were, especially in a minimized role where we thought he was going to be spotting up and maybe doing a little bit of on-ball defense, and that was about it. But unfortunately, with all the injuries to the Nets, he was relied on a lot more, and that was uh, to the Nets and his detriment. I For the, uh, Aaron Gordon, it, I, I, I think you're right. I think most people are in love with the idea of Aaron Gordon, not the actuality or not the reality of Aaron Gordon, because let's face it, who the heck is diving into Orlando Magic advanced stats or watching Orlando Magic games that I don't even think, I don't think there are going to be three viewers watching Bucks Magic in the playoffs, unfortunately. So I think like you look at him, you see him in the dunk contest and you think, oh wow, this he could be an elite role player, especially on a team with stars. But if you're right, he is running the offense and initiating, that would also be a little bit of a tough adjustment for him. Yeah, and I don't mean to, I should mention that, you know, you mentioned the dunk contest. He is just freakishly athletic. Nice. And he would have a lot of gravity as like a role man in some instances, or like, you know, he could attack closeouts really well. And he could definitely provide that over someone like Torian Prince. I just think like he operates in a similar framework because he's not quite an elite defender, in my opinion. And he's not doing, you know, like anything crazy with the ball per se. I appreciate you uh, dealing with my Aaron Gordon uses. It just it just comes up every time. I'm always like, yeah, there's, I there's mean, something in my gut that tells me no about it, but I don't I don't quite know what it is. I I think they should just trade as my as my friend Ethan said. They should just it's a, the Karis for Aaron Gordon's. They should just kiss already. The Nets and, the <laughs> and make that trade happen. I think um, it was Dinwiddie for Gordon, but oh, okay, okay. Well, I, I, I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful to, to Spencer Dinwiddie either, but. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, but one of those guys, and especially Karras, given their timeline, I don't think he's actually that much younger than Dinwiddie, but maybe you could say he has a little bit higher. I don't know. Dinwiddie's great. Like, Dinwiddie's a borderline all-star. I wonder if he's, you know, even available for Gordon. But um, in Karras's case, that's the kind of guy who I think I would want on the on the Magic, you know, kind of like what they are going for in Fultz. They know they're not going to be an elite offense, but they have guys who can just, you know, keep you afloat and uh, wait for Jonathan Isaac to come back and, you know, lead a top five defense. Wait for Jonathan Isaac to come back and re-injure himself within the first. Yeah, that was, ah, it sucks. He's so much fun to watch too. Yeah. Um, I just want to see Karras on the magic because I just want to see him like, you know, take 30 shots a game. That's what we all want to see. Well, and he clearly likes playing in Orlando. So, (laughs) um, all right. Well, I think, you know, we have uh, pretty much bottomed out the, the Nets Raptors series and, and as well as the eventualities of what will occur following it. Uh, so, I mean, anybody, you guys have anything else that you guys want to get in here before we wrap her up? Go Nets. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> he just wants us to beat the Raptors up enough so the Celtics can take him down easily. <laughs> Oh, I don't think the Celtics will beat the Raptors. I don't think so either. That's that that series though. I am so looking forward yeah, to that it's series. It's going to be good, but Raptors. I think they could. They, yeah, I just I feel like I don't know. I watch the Celtics and I'm like, is this team have another gear beyond this? Whereas I just expect Raptors to go gangbusters since they have they just ooze playoff confidence. That's true, but I feel like you know the Celtics are probably in a little bit of a better position to just like slow the game down a ton. Yeah, it's a good um, point. You no know, we block. got more half court creation. Um I I I'm interested to see how Tatum does in that series because you know 
he looks great a lot of the time, but when you get a wing who can like really bother him, I mean, he's still good off ball, but some of that on ball stuff gets jammed. And I think OG is a guy who, you know, if you were to build a Tatum garter, you'd be OG Ananobi. So that'll be interesting. So the one problem that I have with that is that the Nets are winning the series in five. So uh, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. I shouldn't get ahead of myself. <laughs> um, really interesting. Good. I hope Jared Allen can match up better with Embiid in the second round this time. We're gonna we're gonna knife snake our way through this series to the second round. <laughs> I, I think there should be a loop. Lo- you can slither past the rack. Exactly. All right. So yeah, I, I owe you. Raptors, they're so long, you can't slither through them. That's true. They're unslitherable. You try to uh, use some Jared, Alex Mack can I slither here, and they're like, no, 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 you can't. No, unslitherable. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much to. Scott, to you, my friend, our guest, uh, you can check him out online, premiumhoops.org. Uh, or what, what's you guys, what's y'all's uh, Twitter handle? Hoops NBA. So I, I, guess, I guess premium hoops was like a, a basketball hoop business or something. They had to attach the NBA. Oh yeah. That was actually James Naismith founded premium hoops. Yeah. They, they, they had the I, basket in there. I mean, I've been to the Basketball Hall of Fame. They did not seem too premium when you look at those uh, pictures. <laughs> that that was actually a 1906 established corner store that used to sell hoops. <laughs> no. It's actually... What, uh, when do you think they started calling them hoops? Like, do you think James Naismith was just in his gym class, like, look, pointing to a kid, like, that guy's a real hooper? Yes. <laughs> He's a hooper. But only because he made barrels. Um, <laughs> wait, that's a cooper. Uh, I think I don't know. We'll look it up. I'll Real send Cooper it to you. <laughs> I'll send it to you with my with the Alex Mack clips. All right. <laughs> All right. So Alex Mack's giving me a lot of free advertisement right now. Definitely, I'm sure it needs it. Um, <laughs> so check out ScottPremiumHoops.org at Premium Hoops NBA. If you like the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell and Fro. Uh, or if you don't like it, you can follow us too. Uh, you can send us an email, russellandfro at gmail.com. You can find us wherever your podcasts are sold or found or whatever you do with them. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, all, all the good ones. And uh, we will uh, catch you next time. Brett, you got anything else for the people? No. Like a mama, you birthed me. Brooklyn, you nursed me. You schooled me with hard knocks. Better than Berkeley. They said you murked me by the time I was 21. That shit disturbed me. But you never hurt me. Hello, Brooklyn. If we had a daughter, guess what? I'm a caller. Brooklyn Carter. When I left you for Virginia, it didn't offend you. Cause you know I only stepped out to get dinner. Hello, Brooklyn. How you doing? Take it. I'm just saying, baby, I'm just saying. That's our back.